All right, everybody. Today is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. My name is Chris Messina, and you are here for the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. This is the WWDC Plus Plus edition. We've got a lot to talk about today, a lot of interesting angles to uh, pursue. Um, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host, um, Brian McCullough, uh, who does the Tech Meme Ride Home show on a daily basis. Um, just to remind you guys, one, this is a bit of a social experiment, um, and two, this whole thing was really started because I would be listening to the Tech Meme Ride Home, hearing stories that were going on, and I just I wanted to talk to someone about them, and who better to talk to them about um, or with, rather, uh, than, than Brian himself. And so this is an opportunity for us to go deeper on the stories, the tech stories of the week, to unpack some of these things, to put them in context, to try to understand what's going on at a macro level. Um, and then, of course, as you guys found out last week, um, I think it was last week, we are now publishing these as recordings on the SpaceCast feed. And so um, you can obviously check that out as well. Um, this one will be there too. But, you know, we, we like to have folks here for the live experience. Um, we might be able to bring some folks up, get their questions in, et cetera. But um, I'm going to pin my tweet from, let's see, I don't know, from today or something, because I have a few tweets there. Um, but before we get into anything deeper, Brian, why don't you provide us with a little bit of, I don't know, context setting Whatever you like to get us kicked off. Um, let's 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 get my um, sadness out of the way. <laughs> okay, please. <laughs> um, there 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 was no hardware. Oh God, I'm so sad. But but did you see what I just? I, I don't know. I just I'm sorry. I'm just going to jump in here because I just saw some metadata from YouTube and the YouTube upload from the WWC keynote that mentioned the M1X right. processor. I got a couple things to say about that. <laughs> Okay. So number Dive. one, number one, um, I don't know if it was just uh, a lot of us that that needed new hardware were just uh, <laughs> trying so hard and believing so hard that we couldn't see the forest for the trees. I think that it, if you think about it, it maybe makes sense that you know when was the M1 chip released? It was in the fall last year. So why would they do it now? Except for the fact that you know they're they're doling them out to different um, machines in different times, but, um, I, I can see that they might've held it off for later, but number one, uh, did you see the, the cult of Mac story about how so many people were selling their MacBook pros ahead of WWDC? <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't yeah. me. I mean, I like all the people right now who are like, Totally fucked because they don't have a computer. To yeah, use. They have like some yeah. 2016, whatever. Not that computer. that wasn't me, I mean, but, I, one, I, but I was close. I almost got there. Same. same. Yeah, I feel that. Um, but so uh, <laughs> I, I'm looking at your pin right now. So if if they if they couldn't do it, was there is there a reason that 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 story says? Sorry, I'm I'm trying to read real quick. Sure. <laughs> um. I don't know. Whatever. Like we we didn't get we didn't get what we wanted. The, actually, it, all it comes down to is: Am I going to get the computer that I want? And so, if I didn't get it this month, am I going to get it three months from now? Um, so it's 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 not really when it happens. It's it's if I'm going to get the thing that I've been waiting all this time for. So I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, it feels like given all the all the leaks, all the things that have come out kind of around what that MacBook Pro hardware is going to be, you know, with the addition of ports, um, the M1X chip, I think it will be. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember you and I were actually sort of like 
you know, texting each other back and forth while the, the keynote was going yeah, on. And yeah. we were like waiting for the moment where... Right, because like, I said uh, they, they waited for the, the Mac OS stuff for the end. And I was like, well, this is why. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're leaving the Mac OS stuff for the end and they're going to do one more thing. And of course they didn't. And it was just, yeah, it's like super disappointing. Um, and uh, I don't know. My, my sense is just that like, they, there was, there, there was a lot, like there was actually, this was a, a jam packed, you know, keynote. This was actually, uh, I think really strong, um, in terms of the showing. And so the fact that they didn't bring out the MacBook pro just meant that they didn't want to dilute that message, you know, of, of where iOS is, where Mac OS, I mean, Mac OS was really, really limited in yeah. terms of its presence. It was all about iOS. It was all about watch OS. It was all about Swift, um, Swift UI, well, let me let, let's pivot to your potential disappointment. I don't want to put uh, okay. words yep, in your mouth, but um, we talked about last week how you were prepared for this to be a big messaging uh, uh, thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. Did yep. did yep. you get all of the messaging <sighs> news that you expected? You know, okay, I, I will. I will admit that I have not done my uh, my homework um, sufficiently on this one, um, in the sense that. What I what I wanted to do. So, let me back up. So there was F eight, and during F eight, you know, it was uh, this is Facebook's developer event. They went whole hog on you know Messenger and Instagram and all sorts of messaging capabilities. It, it felt like that was the entire event. Um, and in this case, I was expecting that Facebook might have been doing that to head off anything that Apple might have been you know announcing in the Apple business chat space. But Apple has consistently. And I think I, I just need to get this message. Apple is not going to come through the front channel on anything that's related to business or related to commerce or any of those things. Right. Is that, right. that that's what you were expecting? Is like sort of if 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 Facebook with especially with WhatsApp, but then all of the messaging things across their platform is they're trying to and, and we talked about this last week a little bit um, be the layer between. Uh, consumers and and businesses. You thought that they were going to take a stab at at disrupting that a bit i just you know it just seemed to me that um yeah that it was possible um you know that 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 facebook would have an interest in um apple or, i'm sorry that apple, apple yeah, yeah sorry. thank you that that apple would have an interest in putting out their their business chat solution and that iMessage would get this major update and of course it did um but it wasn't for you know business it was for consumers and there was a lot of stuff with facetime and with watch party type stuff Mm -hmm. um, and media things like that and i suppose that makes sense because apple is not currently anyways interested in a story coming out about them relative to um i guess i would say uh i don't know advertising uh around providing access and support to businesses i see you know i.e via Apple Maps, there was a big Maps update, but it didn't say anything about really businesses. Like, there's this weird kind of way in which Apple is consuming all this data and making sense of it, but they're not really involving the customers uh, of the information that they're actually collecting. We'll, we'll get to this a little bit later. Um, this is sort of something that Jasmine, I, uh, I hope, you know, can, can tell us about. But um, in terms of what I was expecting, in terms of a you know, for, for my, my language, conversational commerce story for Apple and Apple messaging, it did not, um, it did not come out. So just like MacBook Pro, nothing about messaging, 
I was, I don't know if I want to say disappointed, but it was just kind of like, huh, that's, that's curious. All right. Well, so let, let's uh, get past our disappointment and talk about, um, I, yeah. I think one of the big things was potentially in the messaging uh, arena that FaceTime um, is kind of going after Zoom a bit. Um, uh, FaceTime is doing is, is finally going multi-platform. Um, you can now do it on the web. You can now do it on uh, uh, Android. Although, is that is that live yet? I don't remember how when that's rolling out. I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think you know a bunch of it. It almost doesn't matter, right? Apple can just take their time. They can do whatever it makes sense to them. Um, and yeah, like the the benefit of being a semi monopolist, if not a monopolist, um, in the space is that you can kind of like sit back and watch what everyone's doing. This was the like I don't want to say key insight, but one of the key benefits of Facebook running Facebook Connect for so long is that they could watch you know upstarts using Facebook Connect, Facebook login, Facebook you know. APIs and observe what was really succeeding and either attempt to aqua hire them or build it themselves. And I feel like Apple got the luxury of kind of leaving FaceTime to, you know, modestly like languish for a little while and then could kind of watch what was happening during the pandemic and just pick and choose and cherry pick the best things from what was out there. You know, I, I think I, I hunted around 20 different products over the last year that were premised on the notion of watch parties. In other words, people coming together and being able to watch content simultaneously um, and having some shared presence in that experience. And the fact that Apple can just come out and say, well, we're going to build it into the OS disrupts all of that innovation, all of that work, all of that investment, and they just don't give a fuck. So when it comes to whether it's the messaging piece or the commercial piece or the advertising piece, I just think that they can like bide their time and wait and kind of starve out you know, their competitors um, with regards to the antitrust or any kind of regulations that might apply to them. And Apple can continue to focus on the end consumer as their primary target audience, which is seems to be the most defensible. Um, I, I do wonder if that might have something to do with it. If, uh, we've, we've discussed, uh, especially last week, about how a lot of these developer conferences were a little disappointing in terms of like new products and stuff. Like, I wonder if like, even if Apple has all of these things in the wings, if like now's not the right time to go pedal to the metal about how, uh, we're going to do all these other things in our ecosystem. But, um, the, the idea that it, uh, it's not watch party was interesting and fun. And I would, I would do all that sort of stuff. I, I, I don't think they called it watch party, but, um, no, the 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 stuff that was more interesting to me was you know it's it's 18 months too late but like the fact that um essentially you turn facetime into what could be a zoom competitor um whether it be for enterprises or not whether it just be for what for for any of your use cases and i also wonder if this is laying the groundwork for um a facebook portal competitor where once you have um you know a device uh, a, uh what would what would you even call it like a uh, a HomePod device with a screen or something, or like just an iPad or whatever, but anything they're laying the groundwork for like, you know, you, you can do all sorts of video chatting um, and you don't need to go to these other. Uh, yeah. I, I like, I, I feel like it's a little bit different. And, and, and then the reason why is because, you know, they didn't call it home OS, although there was some stipulation that they might've come out with something where home kit would be sort of, 
expanded into home OS. I mean, that may be still be, you know, years away right now. It's a kit. Eventually it'll be an OS. Um, you know, they did bring up HomePod, um, or at least maybe the HomePod mini. I'm not quite sure where there is kind of like this hub and the HomePod seems to, as an audio unit, right. Just like the echo device from Amazon, right. Um, be the replacement from the airport extreme, uh, or actually I should, I should, I should dial it back because it doesn't provide Wi-Fi. but nonetheless, as a, I don't know, device that you want front and center in your living room, that's maybe a bit of a conversation piece. You know, as we've talked about before, Apple is in the business of building heart, you know, jewelry and attractive objects uh, that are conversation pieces relative, relative to things that are kind of tucked away or utilitarian. Um, you know, like HomeOS seems to be a, a, a nexus point where the Apple entertainment experience and suite and media is going to really, I don't know, cement that relationship with the consumer. And then FaceTime and I guess watch together um, is another expansion or extension of that media experience. And it just, the thing that I'm most impressed with Apple, I think is their discipline, their discipline around presenting certain types of media, certain types of content in a way that's consistent and the way in which they just say, no, we're not going to talk about that other stuff. We're not going to present these other cool, interesting gadgets and, you know, gizmos that we can do. We're going to keep this very, very tightly focused on improving the like semi-casual end users experience, even though they're talking to developers. Um, So I don't, I don't know. Like to, to your point though, uh, the iMac probably is the closest thing to a portal competitor because it already yeah. has. We talked the, about that at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Like it has, um, what is it called? Like stage, uh, stage light or I don't know, whatever that's called. It has the ability now to track your, your faces, right? It's sort of an obvious use of facial recognition on these cameras, on these platforms where once you can identify where the faces are in the scene, you simply move the, the focal uh, target of that image to that part um, of the scene. And so, Apple's doing that, but you don't need a special dedicated device to that. Like to me, that's not what they want to do. To, to me, they have a certain set of telescoping or maybe telescopic ownership layers where there's the family layer, uh, where there's the Apple TV and the HomePod. Then, of course, you have the personal device and the personal devices, which is going to be the, the watch and the phone. Um, and then... Uh, what else? I mean, and then they, of course you have like the computers and the iMac specifically feels like it's target targeted for people that may have to share a computer at home where there's, you know, kids maybe using it for school, parents using it for, you know, some random email tasks or whatever. Um, and there's a specific dedicated place for it in the home where it's visible. It's not tucked away. It's not sort of hidden. It's like an object of pride. And, and these are all just, I know, they're so consistently presented. Um, and that, that came through, I think, in this um, in the in WWDC. Can I, uh, in the interest of because I know we've got guests coming at the bottom of the hour, so we've got yeah. basically t- uh, ten minutes. L- let me try something we've never tried before, which is let me ask you, let's say, three or four questions and like rapid fire, like love it, like let's do it. yeah, do give me a, a thirty second or sixty second answer. Okay. Um, did Apple release a VPN? Do we know what, what, where did we come down yes. on that? My answer is yes. Like you can like fiddle with the bits in terms of like it's actual like place in the marketplace, but one, it helps with the privacy story Two, it helps with Apple's advertising ambitions, which might be a 10 to 15 year prospect and three, fuck it. You put your internet access like through Apple. That's a VPN. 
my favorite thing, which is maybe neither here nor there, but uh, <laughs> driver's licenses and and the wallet app. Uh, um, uh-huh. What do you think about Why? that? Why? Uh, uh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, I just, I, I, I just love it. Like that would be useful for a, a million different things. And it's interesting that this comes after a year of COVID, where like I still have my, um, my Empire Pass or whatever for uh, being vaccinated here in New York, or whatever. Um, uh, what do you think about that? It's interesting. You, you, you weren't as jazzed about that. It sounds like. Uh, no, that's that's not quite it. It's. You know, as someone who has worked in the identity space previously, you know, I was on the board of the Open ID Foundation. I am a co-author of OAuth. Like, I am deeply invested in the future of identity technologies. And a lot of what Apple has been doing is cementing the way in which you connect and store your identity credentials with Apple, which unlocks your access to your entire world. So... The fact that Apple is the one that comes out with this and the fact that Apple has the relationships to make it possible to use your driver's license information in lots of different contexts that's built into the phone with all the security and privacy you know, implications and requirements it, like, is a big deal. You know, who else out there? Like, I don't see Google really you know, moving forward in that respect. People don't trust them in the same way. Um, and yet... You know, I, in, in my Y Combinator batch, for example, there were two or three different identity verification platforms that launched. This instantly disrupts them because now Apple becomes the sole, uh, I mean, maybe not the sole, but one of the very, very important and well-trusted identity providers for all Apple product users. So, yes, there is convenience for the end consumer. And so I see the benefit and the value of that. But what it means is that we will increasingly rely on Apple provided technologies and services to interact with the world. You know, one of the things that I've been noticing, and you probably don't see this because you're not obviously in the Bay Area, is that Apple has been running relentless ads on Twitter on how to use your uh, Apple wallet for accessing BART, which is our subway here. And the fact that, and, and you have this in New York as well, but the fact that they're moving increasingly large amounts of identity information into the iOS platform in general is of huge significance and value and cuts across the face of Facebook and other platforms that have, you know, know your customer requirements in order to do payments or offer financial services. So an Apple bank is not impossible to imagine once they have all this identity information. And given that they also already have both the Apple card, Apple payments, and now with Apple card, having social functionality, the ability to bring your family in, like they know who everyone else is. They have government verified identities and they have a story around privacy. Tell me how that does not like reduce their power over the next 15 to 20 to 50 years. I, I want to underline that you said Apple bank, um, because uh, there's something that I want to predict, uh, before we get done with this rapid fire, but, um, uh, I am going to, it's rapid fire. I'm going to move on. Uh, Great. the, the tracking pixel, uh, an email oh, thing God, yeah. to, to hurt like subs. I almost did a story. I almost did an entire segment today because there was uh, a, uh, a pro where it's like, this is great. And, and also it's not going to kill uh, email or, or, or newsletter stuff. And then another one that's like, Oh, this is, this is death to Substack. So um, <laughs> in, in, in three minutes or less, what's your take? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting just because when I saw the news about that, um, and all of the different privacy things, right? Like the other angle is what Apple is doing for a privacy report for apps and what uh, services and, and access apps are, are, are having. All this transparency and visibility is going to just 
create new market dynamics. The email thing is interesting because Superhuman got like trounced over this yeah. a long time ago, right? And so I was less concerned about Substack and more concerned about Boomerang and all the other platforms that have tried to build on top of email, which is one of the last successful open standards for, you know, with actual interoperability um, that, that you know, uses those pixel tracking services to let you know, you know, basically to provide read receipts. Read receipts is a feature of iMessages. So yeah. the fact that you can't turn off a quote-unquote pixel tracker, I mean, yes, you can turn off the uh, unread or whatever, the read receipts feature of iMessage, so I get that that's, you know, superior. Nonetheless, the desire to kill email, you know, has, has not really reduced, and this only moves in that direction where moving to messaging makes sense. And so going back to our previous conversation about Apple's messaging ambitions, it just feels like given that, Facebook is super concerned about iMessages long-term. Apple is not going to push hard on differentiating their messages platform because it is such a big, silent, like monopolistic feature. And so the, the email thing, whatever, it's just, it's not about Substack. Yes, you'll lose some well, stats, but... Not about you know. Substack. I'm thinking about there's an entire ecosystem out there from you know, uh, email marketing, constant contact, um, you know, sales for like, Apple wants to like disrupt all of that yeah, and yeah. put them all in a business. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know where that goes, but Apple's certainly happy about, you know, raining on all those people's parades. I mean, th- they started with app tracking transparency and now they're just like annihilating all the ways in which anybody can track people on Apple devices. And that creates this, I, I don't know if it's a, like dependency where consumers are like, Oh, I must trust, you know, daddy Apple for all my, you know, protection and privacy. I mean, yes, in in some ways that's true, but it does disrupt a whole huge underbelly of, of the tech business um, in ways that I don't think we fully understand yet. Underbelly. I'm talking about um, multi tens of dollars of, of email marketing uh, companies out there. Okay. Um, What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I'm going to bring this in before the bottom of the hour. I swear to God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really cool, uh, and this will lead to my sort of prediction after after we talk about this, uh-huh. the object capture AR thing, uh, where you can just walk around and take uh-huh. a bunch of pictures, and uh, all of a sudden you have an AR object. What do you think of that? So, um, you know, I, I actually reached out to Neil Seibert of Above Avalon, um, who does just a great you know, kind of overall Apple, I don't know, he's been covering Apple for like 15 years and like, you know, is deep, deep in the guts of this thing. Um, and um, I listened to his his uh, his podcast analysis and I, I agree with him. You know, essentially his his MO or rather his, uh, his message is that what we saw at WWDC this year was a prelude to Apple spectacles or whatever you want to call them next year. And that what Apple is signaling to developers who are savvy is, hey, the way in which you've built and sold apps up until now isn't interesting to us anymore. Like, we've got our 2 million apps. It's time to move forward. 
and augmented reality is where the business is going. And so the ability to do object detection and text detection becomes a default primitive or API within the augmented reality world where you're using Apple spectacles or goggles or whatever you know they happen to be called, Apple specs. Um, and so my read of that was that it's far less about the phone. Like there are a number of apps that I use on the regular um, for OCRing text in the world. Um, this seemed to be more about, you know, having a pipeline for data about things that a person will look at and to have that API become performant and for also Apple to be able to get more and more training data to make that API better over time. So that, that, that's my read. So this is my little prediction. And then if you want to open it up, I see people have been raising their hands. Um, you know, John Gruber always talks about his bird, birdies, little birdies that talk to him. I've heard a couple times this week people say that what Apple is doing, because we haven't even talked about maps and things like that, but people have, have said this week that they're doing, they're showing you what the AR thing is going to be in the open. If yeah. you look at what they're doing with the maps and like the 3D and the, like, so it's not just that, oh, we improved maps or like, you know, the, the, uh, the AR that you can already do on a phone. If, if, if you're a developer, you should be paying attention to that because they're already showing you sort of the rails probably that they're going to launch with. Right. Um, and so that's a little interesting to me. It's, it's like, if, if you connect the dots, like you can start to see the direction that they're designing for or going in maybe. Yeah, precisely. I mean, I think that's it. And you know, like, that's why I guess I felt like this year was so important, especially the way in which just Mac OS felt so diminished in terms of the overall story, because the future is wearables. The future is iPhone in your pocket as your supercomputer, you know, uh, wristwatch to detect or to integrate with a couple things, um, maybe to be the bridge to glasses, you know, glasses feels like it's, you know, still a little far out in terms of cultural relevance or acceptance. Um, if you looked at enough things this year, you know, they really are augmenting uh, those, those video, those camera feeds in a way that's really important and that really echoed the Snapchat uh, event. It's it just, I, I found it so interesting that Facebook is still really focused on messaging. Maybe, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's only about, um, you know, killing email or just about, you know, an antitrust foil by, you know, supporting small businesses or just that's where their users want them to be. But, you know, I don't know if you saw it. Sorry, this is a little bit of a, a divergence, but um, this this week, I guess, was the Instagram Partner Summit, and I totally missed it. I don't know how, but um, that was going on. And they launched a bunch of things, one of which, you know, and, and I just got access to, you know, well, badges have been around there for a little while, so you can, like, tip live performance. But more importantly, they're starting to allow people to turn their Instagram profiles into storefronts. You know, and I've logged in using the hashtag Instagram is QVC because it just seems so obvious to me two years ago that Instagram, especially after Mike and Kevin, the, the co-founders, left, that the original vision for what Instagram was as a platform for self-expression was quickly becoming a commercial sort of commodity um, alongside WhatsApp. And with the underlying messaging infrastructure moving over to Messenger, it's it's only clear that that's, that's kind of what's happened. And... Um, Anyways, it just it feels like Apple is moving really fast forward, focusing on augmented reality and where that leads to next in terms of immersive computing in the real world, similar to Snap. 
Whereas like Facebook is focused on something quite different, which might just be relevant to an international audience. I don't know, but just those, those things stuck out to me um, in terms of understanding where we're at. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I I, I saw some people say that this was uh, as boring as the other developer conferences, (laughs) but um, I I don't think that this was true in that case, despite all of our, um, Disappointments for the things they didn't announce. There was a lot there. It's just that again, maybe it's just we're not. It's not that we've got this COVID hangover where maybe they couldn't mm. work on the things that they wanted to work on. All of these companies, not just Apple. It, it's maybe more that we're in this intermediate stage because everybody is prepping for AR and VR, especially in these next stages of all of their stuff. And so, like, maybe it's just not ready. And then maybe next year is going to be bad shit you know when you say what everyone's preparing is that true like like i guess i i so what so let me let me jump in here real quick here because you know when i was at uber um and i was on the developer platform one of the things that i found you know was one of our challenges was trying to connect with the rights of developers and i think this is a constant struggle and and actually i'm, I'm glad to uh, we've got jasmine who's coming up here who can speak i think to, to this to some degree a little bit um where the types of developers that you want to be building products for you over time, I, I have to imagine sort of needs to evolve and change culturally. Like whatever the, the cultural zeitgeist is, like it evolves. And if I were to draw sort of a comparison, you know, the people who are building open web apps, you know, in the early days or like, let's say on the open Twitter API back in 2006 to 2008 are a different sort of developers with a different set of foci than those who would be building, let's say Snapchat filters um, or other types of AR experiences in the current moment. And I guess when you say everyone's getting ready, my question is, who is getting ready? Who mm. are actually thinking about augmented reality experiences and who is best primed to create amazing experiences that really move these platforms forward who don't already work for those big but, tech but, platforms? Uh, that, uh, and then, uh, please, Jasmine, this is my last thing. And then uh, jump right <laughs> in. Um, I'm saying that... This is a lot of these platforms last sort of year before mm. where they're, they're table setting. They're, they're getting everything out of the way. Apple's, you know, yeah. transitioning yeah. over to M1 chips and they're, they're at their silicon. Like I, I'm, what I'm suggesting yeah. is that they're getting ready. They're literally, uh, again, didn't we use a, a godfather analogy? Like, like, uh, <laughs> we're, we're settling all family business. And then right. next year, that's when we're going to then set out a new table. And like, this is what we think. So like, it's, it's just sort it's of the red like, wedding. From yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Speaking of uh, Game of Thrones, um, we, um, I, I, I reached out to Jasmine um, because she runs an app called fan house. Um, and she had, uh, let's say some harsh words for some of the, let's say app store policies um, <laughs> that um, make it very hard one for her to run her business and two for the creators that are on her platform um, to make money doing what they're doing. So this is, this, you know, I, I, let me, let me see how I can preface this. I think this is going to be a fascinating and interesting, I don't know, uh, dynamic conversation um, given one, you know, your experience, you know, Jasmine working, you know, with the app store and given the business that you're in, um, and then also just uh, like, mm, how do I put this? Like generationally, I think you're tied into a set of sensibilities and a way of using the internet that was, or, or would have been quite foreign for 
I don't know, for me and possibly Brian. Um, you know, we grew up pre-payments, pre-monetization, pre-tips, pre-OnlyFans, et cetera. <laughs> and you're in the thick of it. And so um, one, I'd just love to, I guess, hear from you in terms of just let us, give us a sense for like who you are, what you're building, why you're building it, where you're at. And then this whole, I just pinned a tweet, um, this whole confrontation that you're having with Apple right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, thank you so much, guys, first of all, for having me on. And hi, everyone. I'm Jasmine. I am the co-founder of FanHouse, uh, which is a new startup we launched eight months ago. And we are a creator monetization platform, uh, similar to, you know, Patreon or OnlyFans, you know, all of the companies that Chris uh, listed out. Um, that's part of the creator economy. And we pay out 90% of all transactions to our creators uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I <laughs> tweeted a very long and as Chris said, harsh thread today. Uh, and I'll quote some of the words I said, right? I said, fuck yeah. Apple. I said, <laughs> um, they are stealing and exploiting people, which I do believe that they are. Um, and, and, I, and I mean, I, essentially the context here is that, yeah, we, we were on the app store and we were trying to do similar to what Patreon does. Uh, again, Patreon's on the app store. They take subscriptions through web browser. Uh, and essentially Apple was like, no, you can't do this. You have to do in-app purchase, which is subject to, of course, the 30% cut that Apple takes. Uh, and that's off of the entire transaction, which means creators would be left with 60% of earnings, right? After the 10 that we need and then the 30 that Apple takes. Um, yeah. And that's... <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. That, that's all it is. I, um, and it and it goes to the points that these guys have been saying about you know cultural values. There are shifts. You know, it's it's a new it's a new trend of creators that are that are online right now, right? And I, I think Apple and and some of these companies think of creators as like as still a hobby, right? And and not so much as like a real job and a livelihood. Uh, which it, it very much is for many creators. Uh, it is true like that for myself. I've supported my family through my fan house income, through my creative income. And yeah, and a lot of fan house creators are, are doing so as well. Uh, for some people, this is their only income source or their main ones. And uh, yeah, and I think people are failing to see it that way, right? Because you don't make, yeah, you don't, Apple doesn't take 30% of Uber drivers um, money, right? Because if they do that and then Uber takes on their, their, others 25% I believe then these drivers do all the work and then have like 45% of their income left and I think it's easy for us to be like yeah that's really wrong that's exploitation of labor when it comes to traditional jobs but when it's you know online creation I think people haven't caught up yet to to the fact that this is in fact people's livelihoods and so Apple is so comfortable taking off this 30% um, and and destroying lives really is what they're doing. I mean, so these are obviously big accusations to, to leverage against Apple. On the other hand, um, what occurs to me is just like your your perspective. You're coming to this, um, perhaps presumes or sort of perceives Apple as a as a kind of utility. You know, I, I, like if I think about when I was coming up um, in on the internet um, back in the late late '90s. You know, the internet was just, it, it was something that was like, I don't know, I want to say like background radiation. It was something that just that kind of existed. And I, having having grown up with and seen the growth of the iPhone and having lived pre-iPhone and, and now being, you know, in a world post-iPhone and now the App Store, of course, is, is out there. Um, I got to imagine if I were, um, you know, where you are now, 
coming into this space that you might actually see the App Store and Apple as a kind of utility, that it's, that it is a place where people are, one, banking on its existence, like we do water and electricity, and two, that the fact that they're extracting such high rents means mm-hmm. that it's very, very hard for you to build the kind of business that you want to build. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of want to understand that, right? Because on the one hand, if you are Tim Apple and, you know, we're in charge of, well, let's say, you know, succeeding Steve Jobs and making sure that Apple persisted, like, would you want to reduce your rates? Would you want to reduce, like, you know, your fees down from 30% to 10%? Like, what would you do if you were in Apple's position? Right. Um, I mean, I I think I mentioned this in the, in the thread as well. Uh, but I think, right, if, if Apple, you know, sees himself as, you know, this, yeah, this place that creates value, which it, which it does, right, which is why we want to be on the App Store, which is why our creators use the app. Um, and and they, they feel entitled to some kind of rent or payment. Right? I think that's absolutely valid, honestly. And if they want to take this 30% out of out of our cut, right, our 10% cut and our profits, uh, I would be more than happy to do that for Apple. Uh, but when, when they insist on, you know, this, this age-old policy of 30% off of just everything that's being paid uh, and, and the creator and creator companies are, yeah, working off a structure where they pay out most of it to another person, we're not keeping this amount, then that just doesn't work. There's just, you know, inherent... Uh, mismatch there and and the the person at the end of the stick that that gets the worst of it is just creators they're just regular people right it's really beyond fucking over small developers which of course they do too um but i can i can even understand that right like i can empathize with that i get it you want money that's fine take it from us it's you know it's interesting like i guess on the one hand like you're sort of you know, standing up on behalf of, you know, your, your user base and your audience. And I don't, I don't know, have you, have you revealed or shared roughly how many users or members you, you have right now on FanHouse? Yeah, we have over 700 creators that have made money. Um, and they've made over, we've paid out over a million dollars to the create to these creators since launching eight months ago. Got it. And so like, I, I find that like, that's a very interesting dynamic, right? Because mm-hmm. You know, previously, I suppose if you you know launched and built an app, but let me let me see. I'm like un- unpack this a little bit because for so long, when the assumption was that platforms like Instagram would make money through advertising, and Instagram vis-a-vis Facebook would have a relationship with the advertisers and would charge advertisers, and then they would mm-hmm. keep all that money. That was outside of the purview of the app store. You know, mm-hmm. like from what I can imagine, I don't know that Instagram paid anybody to Apple whatsoever in Mm -hmm. that moment now we are in a different era where the users like let me try to unpack this because i'm one not i'm both not a marxist nor an expert in marxism um, (laughs) and i'm also not fully up to speed on all my my socialism or capitalist uh (laughs) language however what's been happening with the internet is a separation between you know labor and capital and remuneration and the whole structure of the economy is shifting and changing. So in some ways it was fine before for Instagram to sort of have their relationship with their advertisers and charge them and no big deal. Now we're moving into a world where the people that are creating the raw materials, the basic stuff that brings people back to social platforms, i.e. photos or updates or birthday posts or whatever kind of, you know, bullshit is going on or memes, right. Are now starting to either demand 
that they get paid or that they get a, a cut or a slice. And suddenly Apple's like, oh, no, 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 no. For each one of your users, we are going to get in between that relationship. Mm. Do yeah. I have that right? Or what am I missing? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's almost like tech is moving faster than some people can keep up with, right? But but if you just make the comparison, right, like the web browser is free, right? Um, you know, we're, we're not charged any additional fees to to have Van House on the website. And and like what you said about, yeah, the apps are almost being a utility uh, and almost yeah, like a, a public good to people, and 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 they and they charge flat fees to developers as well. So so they get you know payments through different ways, and it's just it's just not applied in a way that really works for people anymore, right? Like what you mentioned, the fact that yeah, the advertising revenues that a lot of big apps get that creators you know provide value for, you know that doesn't go through that doesn't have to go through the app store. So why is it only certain? Yeah, certain places here and there where Apple just decides, well, this needs to be an in-app purchase, uh, especially for, yeah, like these transactions where in-app purchase does not make sense at all. Let me uh, take a stab. I, yeah. I, I said on the show that I, I would love to come back as an economist, but I'm not an economist. <laughs> so let me, take a, let me take a stab at these what I... These days, I think it's actually quite necessary. So, yeah, get uh, on the right place. What I Because I'm developing a couple theories around this, but... Uh, um, one term is a, a rentier, someone that you know is just basically a landlord that charges a fee and um, doesn't necessarily uh, p- provide enough uh, to justify that fee. Now, ten years ago, when the app stores were new, that's like a slumlord. Are you calling Apple a slumlord? I didn't. I didn't say that. <laughs> But but the or point continue. is is that like ten years ago when it was like all right I'm an I I have this new app I have a fart app and I want to put it out there and charge ninety nine cents and the only way I can get it out there to uh, hundreds of millions of people is to go through mm-hmm. this platform right what is happening I think is that there are different layers now of platforms that are closer to the actual creators and closer to the actual audiences. And the creators are getting closer to their audiences, so there's not just that one layer of, all right, I have a product, and you have this one marketplace, and so I give you 30%. There is more specialization to what other platforms can do. And, you know, I I can tell you this as a creator who has to pay a 30% off the top to an advertising network, and then another 30% off the top. If, if If there's too many cooks in the kitchen then there's this sort of economy that is developing that can't function uh, with that many cuts, those many vigs being paid out, those many people wetting their beak. So when it was 10 years ago, all right, I'm an app developer, I create an app, and uh, I pay Apple 30% for this marketplace. But the, the market is more sophisticated now, and other... It's not that other platforms need to t- wet their beaks so much as... Um, Apple is just still that sort of not dumb pipe, not rentier, not like, but it's, it's, there's, there's no sophistication to just being, hey, before anything else happens, 30% 
off the top, and then <laughs> then you have to uh, pay ten percent to manage uh, your relationship with your customers, and and you've got to pay three percent to to Stripe and all these things. Like it is more sophisticated now, and the more Apple is just putting their heads in the sand and na 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 can't hear you, they're not paying attention <laughs> to how the market is evolving. Yes. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I do think, I mean, Apple's policy is going to keep the creator economy from growing. Um, if, I mean, if you just look at uh, other apps that do have to comply as well, right? Cameo, Twitch, TikTok, uh, creators get 50% of their earnings, uh, more or less. Um, <laughs> creators on Roblox get like 25% of their earnings, right? And then, and then, yeah, you guys with Twitter Spaces, um, you know, they're rolling out ticketed spaces. And I think if you, yeah, go through IAP and then the Twitter 15% cut, I believe, you, you also end up with like 60 percent or so and and so the way the way this policy treats you know how they've defined it as like quote-unquote user-generated experience right is is again they treat it as like a like an additional it's like an extra thing it's like an extra part of the app like twitter and the free tweets is the main stuff and then this extra stuff you can do for fun and make a little you know make a little extra money on the side it doesn't matter that much it's whatever so they'll take the money um but but yeah, that's just not the case anymore, right? And with the case of FanHouse, the user-generated experience is the app, right? It, uh, <laughs> it's not, you know, that the, the the main app is not free. It, it is it is paid. It is this paid content to people. It is paid content that people are creating and people are consuming. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting, uh, right, Chris? You mentioned to me that Apple created this new guideline where they define creator content. Um, yeah, this is pinned uh, in the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 I, there's a line, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, where it says these experiences must not change the core features and functionality of the native app, right? And I think that just speaks to like how Apple still does not understand the creator economy and, and creator companies and and seeing creators as yeah as as laborers I, you know i but i would okay so i i hear all that and i think maybe our framing so so this is this is a difficult conversation because the question is what are we evaluating and what are we likening it to and is it more like a thing that we know or more unlike something that hasn't existed before and what it occurs to me sort of in this conversation and it, I guess I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of like tax policy stuff lately. And so this is kind of like why my mind goes here. But what 
the App Store is and what Apple is and what Facebook is and what a lot of these big tech companies and tech platforms or multinationals are, are a new form of international governance. You know, Bitcoin is, is sort of, you know, in a different dimension mm. or I would say maybe Ethereum and DAOs are kind of like in their own realm. And they're, they're trying to be sort of internet first approaches to governance on the internet. Apple and the like are still out of the sort of industrial past and they are bridges between the past and the current and the future. And so in a way, what they're doing is they are providing a kind of uniform flat tax. Uh, like, uh, who was it? It was uh, Steve Forbes. Wasn't Steve Forbes that had the flat tax kind of idea? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. His, his tax was 30% or something on everybody. So if you evaluate Apple as a government and you imagine that the App Store is a type of system of roads, you know, and access, <sighs> then suddenly you come to a different outcome with your assessment. And then, I'm sorry, Jasmine, like, this is not to diminish your point, but if we keep going down this path, then you start to imagine, like, oh, okay, well, now we actually need to comp complexify the tax code in order to support people who are building platforms and utilities, or maybe their, their, I don't know, services or small businesses that support a small number of creators. And when I say small, you know, like, 700 is, is, like, significant, but it's not, you know, millions and millions. And yet, right. Apple wants to support, or should if Apple were a government, but it is not, and it is not a democracy, etc. It is a, I don't know what it's called, like an oligarchy? I don't know what it is exactly. But like, it's if you frame it from that perspective and you think about it, you know, it is creating its own laws. Um, there is no, well, I mean, this, there sort of is like a Supreme Court, I guess, in terms of the way that you can appeal its policies. But it, and it alone decides what to do. And the market sort of decides whether Apple, you know, wins or loses and is voted out of office, so to speak, by, mm -hmm. you know, the products. That's, I, like a world that we're living in, and I, I don't know if that's helpful or or not. Um, yeah, no, I I see your point. I, I no, absolutely, no, I get that. Right, this is the policy that has worked best for Apple across its apps for so long, um, and and yeah, it's it's gonna get to a point where it's impossible to, you know, every single app review exactly what they're doing, and and these things are changing all the time. Um, I get that, but I think, you know, this thing with creator, the creator companies and creator economy is, you know, a big enough issue where, yeah, 700 on FanHouse is small, but when you think about the millions of creators across TikTok, across Twitter, across Twitch, you know, that all monetize their content and, and are, are, are dealing with this policy that is not oppressive to them, right? So this many people, then it should be changed and it, it needs to be reevaluated. Okay, so, so. I totally am with you. And one thing that I would love to hear more from you about is mm -hmm. to what degree are you connected to other creator platforms? Because this is part of what I was saying in the beginning, right? Like from a generational perspective, I feel like you are representing a Vanguard, which rep like thinks about and understands both the internet and the app store in a completely different paradigm than mm -hmm. I might have. Right. And so I guess my question to you is how many other people who who do you talk to who are either like you or have similar sentiments or have the same kind of misgivings about, mm -hmm. you know, Apple and uh, their, you know, both the sovereignty that they, you know, possess over the app store, as well as your ability to either influence or inform the way in which those policies affect your ability to build, build your business. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so I think, as I mentioned, I, I'm, before fan house, I was a creator first. I, I grew out my Twitter platform. I, you know, monetize on Twitter, on Twitch, on, um, on OnlyFans. Uh, and I was single-handedly providing for myself and my family just on my creator income. 
Um, and, and yeah, I, I will say, I mean, everyone that I, that I know who is on Twitch has these same misgivings, right? They get 50% of their, of their, um, subscriptions shaved off from Twitch and Apple. And, uh, in the app, like fans are upcharged, you know, 40% for purchasing tokens. Every, you know, every streamer I've talked to who's a partner who, who relies on their Twitch income has told me this. And, um, yeah, of course, all the creators on FanHouse share these misgivings. Uh, creators on Twitter, which is one of the hardest places to monetize. And I would know. Totally. They're working <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and, right, even if Twitter is building all these things and make, trying to make it easier, uh, creators are going to end up not getting a lot of their income anyways because mm. of this Apple policy. So, so I'm sure as soon as that is rolled out, you know, people on Twitter who are creators and who want to be able to monetize all of the content that they put work into creating are going to be pissed as hell. Got it. Okay. Brian. Yeah. Um, again, not an economist, but I, I, I think I've <laughs> asked this before, either on Twitter or on the show, but I, I wonder to what degree it's just the 30% in, in this sense, right? Um, is it a historical anomaly? Because if I was a if I was an economist, I might know this history. Like in various things, there are established uh, take rates, right? You know, if you're a, a, a literary agent, a, a Hollywood agent, fifteen percent. Um, managers get twenty percent. Real estate agents get what is it like five or six percent of a, a home sales price? Like and, and those percentages. You know, there's various market dynamics that make those happen. And I'm just wondering if when the App Store happened, you know, famously, like when, when, when they announced the App Store and Steve Jobs is like, and we're only going to take 30%, that was in an era where, by the way, you had to beg the phone companies to put an app on their hardware, right? And I think they were charging 50 yeah. and 70% yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So 30% seemed like a friggin' godsend, right? So, wow. okay, but maybe that is I mean, not... It's also, remember, like this is what Apple had for Apple Music when it was called iTunes. That's true. That's true. In the era of the streaming wars, where you get all the music you wanted. But for free now think now now think about the, the economics behind that, because they have to yeah. also pay rights holders and things like that. So again, is it a thing? And I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know if yep. this is what it is, but is yeah. the thirty percent just too high? It doesn't make sense in the market as the market evolves into a mature market, and so it's just we've got to bring it down to something that makes more sense. And I'm going to say just one more thing: like these new creator take percentages, like the Substacks, like the um, I can't think of another. They're in the ten to twelve to fifteen percent range. They're not at the thirty percent range, right? So, I'm just wondering if if what we're seeing is that the market is saying this is not sustainable, and again back to this uh, Rantier. Well, well, but we've gotten thirty percent all this time. Yeah, but y yes, it's it it was hugely inflated, and it's going to come down to what the market will actually bear. So, okay, mm -hmm. but, but before Jasmine, before you respond, I just want to like throw some things in there into this you know pot or the soup, um, because I, I feel like. You know, some of the arguments will be, well, just put it on the web. The web is open. The web doesn't charge. You know, you can do 3% Stripe processing fees. And that's that's kind of like the cut, you know, uh, modulo, whatever, hosting fees and domain names and whatever else is the cost of doing business. Um, whereas the Apple tax is a luxury tax for selling within 
one, a kind of captive audience, and two, where, and I, I guess I want to, I want to ask Jasmine you this specifically because one, you brought up Patreon, and of course, there's also OnlyFans, and to my knowledge, yeah. OnlyFans doesn't exist in the App Store, yeah. and so they have chosen to go the path of only being on the internet. Now, it may be that they you know, deal in a certain type of content, which is only possible on the internet anyways, because it's not permissible in the app store. And so therefore they must choose the web, but they seem to be, you know, doing pretty well from a business perspective. Fan House kind of straddles these, no pun intended, like kind of uh, contexts. And you could, and I feel like maybe you told me this, like you've removed the subscribe button that was in the app. And now someone can only subscribe to someone's fan house via the web. And of course, Spotify and Netflix and others are also moving in the direction where the open web is the place where these transactions will happen. But, and this is the point I want to make, the, and Brian, you and I talked about this at the top of the show, the identity verification and the fraud reduction and the risk reduction aspects of accepting Apple Pay may be the things that warrant that 30% Those are tax. exactly the arguments that they made in court with Apple. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I have some affinity for them because of all the fraud. And I know this because I worked at Uber and I know how much money was spent to combat fraud that, you know, I, Jasmine, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that you have an in-house, like, you know, staff or dedicated group that's focused on fighting against fraud, which mm-hmm. would be a huge expense relative to, you know, what Apple takes in terms of their cut. And I'm not trying to make the argument for Apple, but I'm trying to understand the state <laughs> of play relative to the cost of running your own independent shop relative to the benefits that you get from being inside of the, the very, very nice straight jacket, like, but comfortable, um, you know, walled garden of Apple. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I read that as well. I know obviously Apple has costs for running, you know, Apple pay and app purchases. Um, but, but I will bring up, and that's why there are companies, right? Patreon, Netflix that have these exemptions from using in-app purchases and right. Fanhouse currently uses Stripe to process all payments, right? Stripe is dealing with these, you know, chargebacks, if any, they deal with, you know, fraud and our team deals with fraud and Stripe takes 30 or sorry, Stripe takes 3%, right? Uh, yeah, so that seems fair, right? So if Apple, I mean, not that Apple will, but if Apple were to switch to 3%, I feel like all of these conversations go away. It oh, also takes course. a huge amount of money off of Apple's top line. But if Apple goes to 15%, what I'm suggesting is yeah. Yeah, that yeah, no, the, all these conversations probably go away. I'm just saying that historically, this is just too fat a rake. Like there's right. a, there well, should this is, this is back to your rentier yeah. sort of like French yeah. you know sort of slumlord. I'm going to charge you whatever I can because you know we're all out of houses and you need a house you know and so I'm going to charge you all the money or you work for me basically because now you're beholden to whatever my policies and rules are. I mean it is interesting to go and read through a number of if you, if you do click on um, my pinned tweet I have all of the changes that Apple introduced in their new app. The actual guidelines. Can you I? Know, and let me interrupt you real quick because yeah, yeah. there's one more historical analogy that's very important here, which okay. is computers. You never had an app store. Computers. Mm-hmm. You bought the computer, and even if you had an, an operating system on it, you know Microsoft. Believe me, they wanted to have a VIG. <laughs> they they <laughs> talked about it for years, but it, it, you didn't have to pay. Microsoft 30% to uh, create uh, Adobe whatever, right? right you just right. installed it on your computer. So one of the things about this creator... Well, I mean, the, the, the Mac was that way for a while, right? They wanted to change that with 
the iPhone. Yes, yes. And, and we're going to have the app. Store, but what I'm right? saying is, is that you're, we're missing the forest for the trees here when you're talking about the security and the fraud and things like that. Okay. Because yes. essentially what we're talking about here, what Jasmine's talking about here, when we're talking about creator economies, we're not talking about software that might be a malware that you install on your phone. We're talking mm-hmm. about, I want to uh, get a skin for my, uh, my my thing in my game. And like these aren't necessarily... Things that are like when you, you're talking about fraud and protecting the users from the, the yeah, the, you know, that's not what the we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about that at all. You're already in the game. You're already in the app. You're already in the ecosystem. You're already in the community. You're just adding more. So this idea that well, we can't do that because then people could sideload and install all of these things, and your phone would get would get no, malware no, no, no. and all this I'm stuff. I'm saying something slightly different, which is that if. And, and I think this is where Jasmine has ended up, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a subscribe through, you know, the App Store payment system. And because Apple was like, no, you can't do that, you know, you got upset and posted your tweet and removed that feature so people can't subscribe through the App Store anymore, and now they can subscribe to the web. My point is that if, you know, Spotify, Netflix, others have done this, and of course they can't tell customers as I discovered when I was in Fan House, I was like, oh, how do I subscribe to this person? And there was no information about it because she literally can't tell me that if I go through the web, I can subscribe for cheaper or at all. Um, and that's the that first per- thing that's going to fall from the courts. That's yeah. the first that, thing that's going to go away. So if that goes away, that helps, right? My question then is whether or not there's enough either conversion or if there'll be too much breakage in transitioning someone out of the iOS ecosystem onto or into a web browser to you know, transact um, like a subscription that people just won't do it. And furthermore, and I think this is actually important, this is something we don't really think about or understand well, but given my experience with humans using technology, it is all kind of one big blur for, for many people who are not deeply embedded in this space, in this, in this world. And so when uh, a website asks for your credit card information, people may or may not perceive that it's not actually Apple asking for that credit card. You know, just like people confuse the internet and Facebook and lots of parts of the world. So when it comes to Apple Pay, the fact that I can use my face or use my you know, fingerprint or whatever it is, other biometrics, to transact is a level of security and, mm, I don't know, confidence. I mean, it is available on the web, although web providers have to add this and support it, um, where I can do it through the App Store. And I don't know, it just it feels... Like I'm in this like safe space. And if I have a problem or if I want to cancel, for example, recurring subscriptions, there's a central place that I can go to undo the damage that I've done. Whereas when you do it on the web, if you give away your credit card number, you're on your own. I got and you. that's a huge amount of freedom, but a lot of people are not ready for that amount of freedom. And that tension is where Apple, I think, derives their argument that says we can charge 30% for that level of you know, confidence that we provide customers and therefore we create a higher level of transaction volume for you than on the web. Like how many people listening to this have thought about putting their, I'm not going to, no judgment, you know, put their credit card into OnlyFans only to say, uh, I don't know who's going to see this information and therefore I will not, you know, relative to an Apple transaction where let's say every credit card number that you use, if you use the Apple card is unique and different and it's somewhat, you know, there's plausible deniability. You know what I mean? Like, like these are things that don't exist out there in the open web yet. And as a result, that's, I think, where Apple can justify their take rate. 
Maybe. I, <laughs> I, uh, I think I have said this on the show before. I don't know why Google hasn't. I mean, other they have been doing this around the margins, but if Google just tomorrow was like everything's down to fifteen percent, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, like this is such an obvious way for them to stick poke Apple in the eye. Um, clearly, you know, I didn't even do stories on, well, I did, I, didn't I do one today about like how Facebook, Facebook is apparently going to war about this 30% thing. Mm-hmm. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but that is how the marketplace works is that if you do have, you know, competitors that are actually functionally competitive, then this 30% is going to come down because other, other platforms are going to offer competitive uh, things that will be cheaper. I am curious to your point, right? Just to bring this up um, that it seems like Instagram and Adam Aseri specifically are interested in getting around the app store fees yeah. specifically because of the, all the issues that Jasmine raised because Instagram is rapidly, as I said before, becoming QVC, which means that every one of their creators is going to be monetizing individually and that Instagram wants to facilitate transaction volume between brands and individual creators, you know, through badges and other types of upsells. And if Apple is taking 30% of that, like, oh my God, these guys hate each other already. And then to have to like put 30 cents of every dollar that Instagram secures into Apple's pocket, like, I just can't, like, this is this is a new type of digital cold war. And, you know, you and I have been talking about this for a while, that this is like a new ter- type of what, what we call the, the web world war or something. Um, where these big platforms are now starting to fight over the money because the money is the most quantifiable thing that product managers are responsible for. And, you know, because you can count it and measure it, you can see whether the number is going up or down. And you can also see how much is going off to one of these third parties. And I just can't imagine that this is going to, this is, it's going to get bloody. I think this year. <laughs> okay. Jasmine, anything else that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah. Um, final words, Jasmine. Yeah. Uh, what's next for you? Well, I guess I'll just respond to one of the points that you have brought up um, about, you know, being doubtful of, of the friction created when people have to pay on web, right? Yeah, yeah um, please. Via Netflix mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. But but I will say, right, I mean, yeah, Netflix has an app. You can't pay in the app. And does that stop people from going to the web if they want to go watch Netflix on their phone? Like, no. And that's that's the same behavior that we see with FanHouse. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes we do get emails that are like, hey, why can't I subscribe in web? And it's like an uh, app. And it's like, you got to go to the website. And, mm-hmm. and they do because, you know, to they value this creator's content that much. They, they want to see it as much as they want to see, you know, the new Queen's Gambit or whatever it is. And and that's why we have 33,000, you know, paying customers that mm-hmm. are fine with entering things on web and and without any any privacy or, or issues like that. And. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's valid for Apple to be like, oh, we are the only, you know, place that can give you the security of mine. And that's why we have to take 30%, right? Like, <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's not I, Well, it's, it's a good marketing story for them, for sure. It is a yeah. good marketing story. And, and, and Chris, I got to defer to your, you know, actual mm. professional experience in this space. But <laughs> sure. I'm so with Jasmine where it's like, 
So wait, no one else can have a direct relationship with their consumer? Then what is all these DTC companies all about? Like, I don't, I don't understand why you like. Oh, it's it's so horrible out there to have uh, Netflix or 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 uh, Starbucks have your credit card info because there's so much fraud out there. It's crazy. Like that. That's not the way the world works. That's the way that Apple says the world works, and that's the way that it has worked on on iOS devices to date. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that that necessarily um, is reality. And 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 one more uh, terrible economics example yeah. mm-hmm. is is uh, and this is not a good example because it's it's tight margins. But uh, it occurred to me like the idea of like a supermarket or any sort of like a Walmart or any sort of a traditional uh, um, uh, marketplace where there are so many different people taking a cut. You have distributors, you have, you know, the actual retailers themselves, you have the, you know, you're paying for shelf space and things like that. So that's why uh, groceries have a a, a 2% profit margin and things like that. Now, that's terrible for Apple. Apple doesn't want to go down to a 2% profit margin. But if what a mature market means is there are all of these different people, like if you you are selling, if there's a skew out there, you're, you're selling it at 60% 60% of what the consumer actually ends up paying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, again, I think that if if these digital – these are digital markets because, uh, again, Apple can't charge for physical goods. They're charging for digital goods, for subscriptions, for things like that. Then in a mature market, there will be more players than just Apple and the consumer and then the, 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 the creator in between. There's going yep. to be other people in between, and so you have to have room and you have to have margin space for other uh, players to be in there to have a mature market. Uh, the, the one thing that I'll add to this, I think, is just inertia. And I'm not making, I'm not trying to at least come down on Apple's side. I'm just trying to put it into context because, you know, on the one hand, yes, I agree with you. You know, the sort of, you know, there's a supermarket, and within that supermarket, there's all sorts of economic. Um, interactions that are occurring, you know, in terms of end caps and where different products are placed and where the candy bars go and where the margins are, you know, et cetera, and so forth, and why they place the milk at the back. And, you know, there's lots of design that goes into the supermarket to manipulate you as a consumer to behave in certain ways and to buy certain products um, in a certain order. What I'm suggesting is that the fact that we are in a duopolistic marketplace where, on the one hand, there's Android, where it's just kind of this other no man's land that's very web-like in a sense and that it's open and somewhat unconstrained and then there's the apple ecosystem and the fact that many many people have apple products and that they store more and more of their identity and payment information with apple means that the level of convenience for the vast number of consumers that are in that space you know whose wheels are greased to behave in a certain way is the difference it's not a matter of walking down the street to go to you know, Apple competitor X and then Apple competitor Y, right? In the physical world, you can simply drive a little bit further, you know, drive another five minutes to go to the organic store and buy the thing that you want to support the small shop. In the digital realm, those choices are far less clear to consumers. They're far less savvy about the options they should have. And they don't really have a sense for what questions even to ask or how to inspect the different, you know, websites and so on that they visit. Now, I will say that, now that I'm participating more in the Web3 economy and the crypto space and all the weird things that are going on with wallets and MetaMask and you know the Coinbase wallet and all these things that are 
my God, I just, I can't even imagine trying to get normal consumers to understand this. But then I think about a younger generation that grows up where these things are normal and are like those hoops and that friction is not a problem. Long-term, that's the biggest threat to Apple. You know, like maybe you and me and like my parents and like other folks who don't really want to think that hard, you know, they, they sort of treat computers as like slightly more interactive TVs. It's like they're going to stay within the, the, the Apple cocoon and that bubble and the safety and protection there because they don't feel that that lack of self-direction is a loss of freedom. Whereas the younger generation, you know, folks like Jasmine come up and they say, did you realize how much we're paying for Apple to take care of us? Like we can do it for ourselves. Like we are not only digital natives, but we are radically changing the nature of commerce on the internet and what we're willing to pay for and how we pay for it. Well, and And fundamentally, fundamentally, we trust if in a creator economy, you trust and love the creator. Right. Yeah, totally. So that your relationship uh, is with the creator, and Apple happens to be a gatekeeper, doing nothing. Because if when when you're talking about this trust, that's the point of the creator economy. I trust. I love you. Mm. I want to pay to support you directly. So, what is Apple doing? Mm. If you're trusting and loving a creator, they're they're just standing in, in between you, not. And listen, you, you can make arguments about, well, there's lots of scammers out there. You shouldn't trust everyone. But that's not the point of what the creator economy could potentially be. Yeah, especially if we're talking about dollar amounts that are quite insignificant, you know, relative to big purchases. Um, and so, therefore, like the risk threshold goes down. And so, and especially, you know, as, I don't know, payment providers are becoming a little bit more savvy. And some of them are provide like, for example, I use Brex for my business um, accounts they allow me to create virtual credit card numbers, you know, for a number of transactions. That type of capability that's built into the substrate of these interactions lowers my risk and allows me to take, you know, more, I guess, different types of risks in more environments so that maybe the things that Apple provides within their own house become things that happen everywhere. Um, and I think that's, that's, that will enable a new type of economic um, activity certainly out there. Um, Okay, guys, we've been going for an hour and 15 minutes. This is super great. Um, Jasmine, I really appreciate, one, you responding to my DMs, and two, coming on this show last minute. I saw your tweet, and I was like, oh, man, like this is so relevant, relevant to the whole WWDC thing. Um, if there's anything else you want to plug or, or say, now's your chance. Um, where should people go? You know, either check you out, check out Fan House. Yeah, yeah plug the hell out of Fan House, yeah. but even individual uh, creators yeah. there. Whatever you want to do, go hog. Yeah, oh, totally. well, thank you for giving me that space. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think all we're asking right now is is for people to help us share that message, right? If you go to my page, you'll see my <laughs> tweet thread. You can read through it for all the contacts and, you know, like, comment, share. I, you know, Apple is such a monolith, but I do believe that the voices of everyone else in combination. And will you're, be you're in conversation with Apple right now, is that right? Uh, well, we were where they basically said, no, fuck you guys, pay <laughs> okay. us 30%, and, you know, hence the threat today. Got it. Uh, Got but it. we haven't been in conversation since. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully that, that works out, and you uh, and, like, a bunch of folks. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that would help us. And, of course, yeah, if you're interested, check out the app, download it while you can. You know, uh, <laughs> we would appreciate that. You're, awesome. uh, you're expecting it to go away. 100%, that's... Um, well, I'm, I mean, you, you, as, as you guys have seen, I'm, I'm 
fighting. I'm going to mm-hmm, fight mm-hmm. until my last fucking breath. And so <laughs> we have until August. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to fight all the way through. Awesome. God bless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right guys well the app is at fanhouse.app if you want to check it out um you can of course follow jasmine um she is jasmine rice girl on twitter um my name is chris messina we've been joined here with brian mccullough uh, for another tech meme ride home experience this was super exciting um and interesting and challenging all the things um you guys can check us out on spacecasts pod.link slash spacecast if you want to follow subscribe do all the things they tell you to do and uh, we'll be back here hopefully next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.